Hey y'all, it's K-Bird Tweets, and this is Peace, Love, and Baseball. Welcome in for another episode of Peace, Love, and Baseball. Today, we have the pleasure of speaking with Eric C. Gray, author of Bases to Bleachers and Backyards to Ballparks. Eric, thank you for taking the time out to join me today. I am looking forward to getting to know more about you and your work along with our listeners. How's it going today? It's fine, Kelsey. Thank you so much for having me on your program. I just, uh, uh, I'm very excited about it. Thank you. My pleasure. Yeah, we're going to talk all about your work and your books today. But first, I would love to just tap into your baseball fandom a little bit. So tell us, how did you personally fall in love with the game of baseball? And what are your favorite things about the game of baseball? I I don't really know how it happened. It just kind of happened. That's what boys did back then. You know, they played <laughs> baseball. If it was if it was spring or summer, we were playing baseball every chance we could on on the streets, you know, at the schoolyard, whatever. I mean, it just it's nothing I had to work at. It just it just was. And you know, I was first a Mickey a Yankees fan because in 1960, 58, 59 when I really started getting into baseball, I'm from Long Island. The only team in town was the Yankees. And when you have Mickey Mantle running around center field and hitting home runs, what more could you possibly want? Right. And, but I'm from Long Island. And when the Mets became a team, I became a Mets fan and I held on to my Yankee fandom because I don't think that you have to like only one team in your area. I just don't. I ultimately did not stop liking the Yankees. The beginning of that end was when I was there for Mickey Mantle's retirement day. And that's a story that's in one of my books and it was really remarkable. And over time, my fandoms have, you know, have come and gone. But I've been in San Francisco now for 48 years, and my kids kind of required that I become a Giants fan. Um, <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> what I love about the, about the game is what some people don't like, which is the pace. Yeah. And I won't go into a long thing about the pitch clock and all that stuff. But I I like that it's a game that you can sit with your friends, talk, think. You know, and it's funny because it's a, it's a game that, and I know this sounds weird perhaps, but I don't even think of it as a team sport, right? I mean, almost everything that happens, there's like only one right thing to do, right? If you're a shortstop and the ground balls hit to you, well, you pick it up and you throw to first, but there's not a lot of thinking, what do I do? I throw to first, the first baseman has to be there, catch the ball, et cetera. There's a runner on, you throw to second, unless the runner's too close to, you know, you, you get the idea that it just, it's, there's only one thing to do it's not like basketball where a play breaks and you've got to create something on the spot you have to know your teammates in baseball there has to be that trust that your teammate is going to do the only right thing as well i don't know if that makes sense but that's kind of the way i've i've always thought about it as you're saying that i'm reflecting on the the best businesses operate well because everyone has a specific job and they can focus on it and do it really well. So that's a really interesting point. I don't know that I've ever thought about it that way, but it makes perfect sense hearing you talk about it that way. Well, it certainly helps to be a true fan of the game of baseball, which obviously you are. 
especially in times when maybe your favorite teams aren't playing the best. So you mentioned that your two favorite teams that you follow the most closely these days are the New York Mets and the San Francisco Giants. So do you follow them like just as closely, even when they aren't playing well? And how do you maybe enjoy the game differently when you know that your favorite teams are are not going to be in a playoff run? Yes, I do follow them the same because if I'm a fan of my team, then I'm a fan of my team. And yeah. I, I, I often wonder, and I'll get back to that in a second. I often wonder, am I a fan of baseball or a fan of my teams? In other words, I'm not likely to to put on, you know, the a Marlins Rangers game on a, on a Sunday afternoon. I mean, I'm, not, I'm just not going to do that. There are too many other things to do. Do I follow my teams? Yes, I do. I follow their minor leagues to see you know, who's coming up and, you know, with the, with the, both the Mets and the Giants actually this year, there was quite a, a bounty of that. Um, yeah, yeah I, I follow my teams because, because that's what you do when you, when you like something a lot. Um, I went to the same number of games this year with the Giants that, that we do every year. Honestly, it became, it became a little difficult. You know, the, their announcer, Dwayne Kuyper during the, the first world series, he, he coined the term torture and it became a little torturous this year because, I mean, they, they became almost unwatchable. Yet we would still find ourselves, if we were home in the evening, as we are most evenings, we're watching the ball game. So, yeah, I do, I do follow my teams uh, because that's what you do when you, when you care about something. Yeah, I found that I had that exact same experience. It's been a while, especially in my adult life as a St. Louis Cardinals fan, that they were not a lot of fun to watch. And as you use that word torture perfectly, I mean, there were times when it was straight up torturous to choose to stick with it and turn on the game for another night. But I found myself doing it night after night and it almost like solidified my fandom or, you know, made me recognize it in a different way. You get invested in your players, right? So yeah, yeah, exactly. For me, it's more than the team doing well. I like to see my players do well. I mean, you know, Matt Cain, was our favorite player. And Matt Cain had a very mediocre, I'm, I'm trying to remember, his lifetime record might actually have been below 500. Now, there are reasons for that, which is generally because the team never scored for him. But when Matt Cain was was going to pitch, I, yeah. I I was watching that game um, because it, you, you have something invested in your players. Now, other people look at it like a business and so-and-so hasn't done well, I think we should trade them. You know, I don't, and I, I get that perspective as well, but we just tend to get, invested in in our players as well as the team. Same here. And I think that's, that's the easiest way to keep enjoying it without even having to think about it is when you are invested in them that way. Let me ask you about the Mets because obviously they've gone through quite a change just uh, under new ownership and everything in the direction that they're headed. What are your general feelings on that? I guess, have you enjoyed watching them more now that they're spending more money or do you have big hopes for them in the next few years? I don't enjoy watching them more. I did certainly have bigger hopes. Ironically, um, I'm not wild about the money that they spent. And I don't mean that they spent too much on a player. It's not how they spent the money. It's that they did. And when I mentioned to you that I stopped liking the Yankees, it was because of how George Steinbrenner changed the game. And most teams do that now. Most teams spend outrageous amounts of money on players. And again, that's a whole different issue. I'm not I have no breach for wanting the owners to make a lot of money. I just think that the economics of the game, like most of us do, have just gotten way out of hand. That's why I stopped liking the Yankees. I don't love that that Steve Cohen just started to do that. That he did made me excited about the fact that the Mets were probably going to 
go long and deep this year, which they did not do. I remember last year I was in Albany doing a book talk and I went back to my room and I watched the Mets lose that last game to the Padres. Well, I don't get upset about sports because it's just sports. I was depressed for several days. Yeah. <laughs> that that shouldn't that shouldn't have happened. What was interesting about the playoffs last year is that except for the World Series and one series, it was always the underdogs who won. And I, you know, I think that's good for baseball. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it it was very upsetting. And yeah, I mean, I'm not happy that the Mets didn't do well this year. I mean, they had injuries like a lot of teams did and they had a lot of underperformance. Um it was fun to see you know, their future come up. I mean, it is, it's that pull of excitement of like, I don't know, this seems a little outrageous and like, maybe there's not enough good thought behind this, but it's really exciting that we have these players on our team, but it'll be interesting. I mean, obviously they're taking yet another step forward with now having a president of baseball operations in place. So it will continue to be interesting to watch one way or another. It will. Well, I want to share just a little bit from the introduction of your first book, Bases to Bleachers, to set the stage for our listeners here as we talk more about that. So this is just a little bit from the introduction of the book. It says, I think you'll find this to be a very different kind of baseball book. I love reading biographies or books about teams, seasons, eras, or accomplishments. Like other baseball fans, I enjoy and remember the stats and love good analysis. But this book is different. It's from the fans' perspectives, or players, or coaches, or umpires. It's a human interest book in a baseball setting rather than a baseball book. So my first question for you before we kind of get into the details of the book and the stories is, what do you think it is about baseball as a sport that differentiates from other sports to really inspire connection and community? Well, we talked before about the pace of the game, and I think that, you know, I'm not a football fan. I just, I don't like the violence. I love the NBA. When I go to a basketball game and I don't go frequently, but you know, if you're watching a game on TV, you have to be paying attention, like literally every second. Yes. And yeah, you'll talk, you know, you'll be watching it with your wife or your son. You go, Whoa, look at that pass or, or, or something. Baseball affords you the time to just sit and think and to talk maybe about the game, maybe about the player, maybe about a, a play that just happened, maybe about how the umpire blew it again. So it just it just gives you that time to connect. I mean, my wife and I have season tickets. And um, when our kids stop coming with us, we decide we have a portion. Um, we decide to keep um, to keep the tickets because it gave us a chance to invite friends. And it yeah. gives us a chance to sit and spend and, t- and talk with them. And sometimes we're talking about the game and sometimes we're talking about our grandkids or the concert we went to. Um, I don't think my sense is that is that the connections built through baseball are just greater than than with other sports. <clears throat> I mean, I could talk to my son about who was the greatest first baseman of, of, of all time. And he's like, he's like, I mean, it's obviously a judgment call, but he's more likely to say Lou Gehrig than Mark McGuire. I mean, this came from a conversation several decades ago. That's why, you know, it's, you know, he knows it's Lou Gehrig, not Paul Goldschmidt. Yeah. <laughs> who's a great player. I, I realize he's a Cardinal, um, but there's that history, you know, and, and people just, they remember these things and they connect and they can say, remember that game I went to? I can't tell you, I know anything about any basketball game I, I that I went to 10 years ago. But I remember an awful lot about the games, uh, the baseball games I was with and the people I was with 
and what happened. And yeah, I remember this is probably going to be painful for you because I'm pretty sure it was against the Cardinals. But in the playoff game, when the, the Giants, they went on to go to the World Series, and I was with my daughter and my nephew and my niece, and that was the game that ended in the rain. You remember that? Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. <laughs> I mean, I remember everything about that. I remember it rained like hell before the game. It did not rain at all during the game until that ninth inning Very when yeah. the rain came like of biblical proportions. And Scudero settled under the ball like this. And it's a kind of an iconic shot. I mean, I remember that. It, yeah. I think it just, it, just, it, it just makes some kind of an impression on you for maybe reasons I can't or that maybe nobody can explain. But it's just a game of connections. And I don't think you could have written these books about any other sport. Maybe soccer on an international level, because obviously the passion sure. about soccer and, you know, baseball isn't a, what I say in the book is it's not a passionate game, but following of it is passionate. That's the way I look at it. You know, you can't get excited about 162 games like you can get excited about, what is it, 17 football games? They're once a week. Right. Game is so visible. <laughs> I understand why people get excited about it on the occasion when I watch and I watch, you know, uh, the 49ers, you know, tackle the other quarterback. And I find myself going, yeah. And I think, wait a minute, this is why I don't like the game. But I yeah. understand, <laughs> I understand how visceral it is. Baseball, it's just, it's there. You live with your team, you die with your team. It really just embeds itself in your life in a different right. way because of the longevity, the investment. Right. The everyday, I mean, before the internet where I can look on my phone, what's the first thing I looked at in the newspaper the next right. morning? Who, was, who won the games? Yeah, that's such an interesting point that you make about the, not only the history of the game itself, where you can have those conversations of, you know, even baseball fans who weren't alive are very invested in and many of them are very interested in the history of the game from long before they were ever around. But then the history of the game within your own life, because everyone has like their own little personal history with it. And you're right. right. I don't think that translates the same way in other sports. And maybe I'm biased because like you, I'm not personally invested in other sports nearly as much as this one, but I think that's a really good way to articulate it. I mean, as you're, as you're talking, I'm thinking about this, trying to go a little further with it. What person that has any knowledge about baseball doesn't know who Babe Ruth was, right? Right. Yeah. But how many, how many 30 year olds would know who Johnny Unitas is? You know, the old quarterback from the, from the, from the Colts. I mean, he was one of the great <laughs> yeah. quarterbacks. And, you know, and you're not a football fan, but even if you were, you still might not know who Johnny Unitas or Bart right. Starr. Everybody knows who Sandy Colfax was, and that was 60 right. years ago. You know, am I making a bigger deal of it than it really is? I don't know. That's just my experience. Well, baseball does just have a longer and therefore a richer history than other sports, I think, in our country as well, which is why it is and and will always be, I think, you know, referred to as America's pastime. But let's talk about a little bit about the inspiration for your first book, Bases to Bleachers. What inspired you to put the collection of stories together? How did you start? How did you even get the idea? Earlier, we spoke about the fact that when you go to a baseball game, it gives you a chance to, to think, to talk. I was at a game with my wife, my daughter, and my friend. And at some point during the game, between innings, I was just kind of looking out at the field, and I asked an idle question. So what was your favorite game that you've ever been to? Your favorite moment at a game, your favorite, you know, your favorite game, whatever. 
And they gave me their answers and I went home and I sent an email to about 30 friends. <clears throat> and I said, so what's your favorite game you've ever been to? Your favorite baseball experience would be a, a better way to put it. And I wrote a list. I said, being in Mickey Mantle's retirement game, uh, the day I was at a spring training game with my family and a photographer took a picture of my kids with Dusty Baker and his arms around them. The, the first game of the World Series that I went to with my daughter. I mean, I just gave a list, but there were no stories, right? And I asked them, what's your favorite game? So uh, out of the roughly 30 people, roughly 10 of them responded because, you know, that's what people are these days. Sure. And my friend who I included on this list, Andy likes baseball less than anybody I've ever known. And I included him on this list just to give him a hard time because that's what we do. <laughs> and he wrote a story about the only game he ever went to with his dad. Um, it's a, it's a, an emotional story. So then I just, I got that story and I immediately knew that I had to write this book. I mean, it, it was one of those things. I'd never set out to write a book. I'm, I'm going to write a book about baseball. I mean, I love baseball, but you know, I'm not a baseball writer. Yeah. And then I just started asking my friends to ask their friends. You know, if you're walking down the streets and you had a Cardinals jersey or a Twins hat or whatever, I would ask you, tell you about this book I'm writing. Do you have a story you'd like to contribute? I mean, my many, many memories of how I asked stories from people and my memories of the people themselves, whether they gave me a story or not, <laughs> that's a kind of a curse and a, bl a blessing. Um, <clears throat> and then I joined Facebook because, you know, I had so many Yankees and Mets stories, right? And a lot of Cubs and Cubs, well, Cubs stories and Dodgers and Red Sox and, and obviously Giants because I'm here. Yeah. And I wanted to really broaden you know, the scope from where the stories came. So I joined Facebook and, you know, if you're on Facebook, you know, some of the perils as well as some of the, the joys of it. And the stories started coming in and I ultimately um, got 1,250 stories from 14 different countries. Um, wow. Almost a story. I, I don't remember now, but there's a story from about either a team or a player of that team, something from almost every single state, as well as almost every single team. And that's how the project started. That's amazing. Well, you could bring up another good point just talking about that, about how there's so many different ways to be a fan of baseball. Because like you said, you got your first story from someone who you wouldn't even necessarily consider a big baseball fan. And that's another thing that that I love about it is because going to a game and even watching a game is so much more about the experience than just what's happening on the field itself that right. I'm sure that's where you get those kinds of stories from. You know, one, one of the ones that, that's just popping to mind and, and they're not necessarily the, the best stories, but I was at probably the first spring training game I went to as an adult. I go with my friend who lives in Baltimore. So we alternate between Florida and, um, Oh yeah. And, um, he has come to say, I'll see you for the first pitch. Cause he knows I just disappear and ask people. There were these two young women I mean, young enough to be my daughter. And one of them was wearing, I think, a Buster Posey jersey. And one was wearing a Clayton Kershaw jersey. I probably have the players wrong, but it was definitely a Dodgers and a Giants jersey. So I went running ahead of them, knowing that this could be like a little creepy. And I said, excuse <laughs> me, how do you make this work? You know, how do you make this yeah. friend work, right? And we chuckled. And they both sent me stories. I mean, as, you know, I mean, not everybody does. Even the people who say, I've got a great story for you. But they did. And, you know, my intro to this was, how do you make this work? And, you know, that's kind of how I've gotten a lot of stories, just walking up to people and 
beginning a conversation. Yeah, I think it, it's just bringing up another great point that we were kind of talking about a little bit before we were recording too, that just being genuinely curious about people and and their fandom within that can really open things up. And I'm sure that people have shared stories with you that they haven't even shared with anyone else before. They may not have even thought back and remembered it that way before you asked them about it. You are absolutely right. And that's what my wife, Lynn, always says. You've given people an avenue and uh, you know, to share a story that they may never have told anybody else. And, yeah. and I got to tell you, Kelsey, some of these stories are pretty amazing. And, you know, it's like, it's given them an opportunity. And so many people have said, thank you for giving me the chance to tell the story. So, you know, when I, I wrote the first book, you're probably going to ask about the second book. I don't know if I'm jumping. Am I jumping the gun here? Oh, no. Go ahead. Because, yeah, I was going to ask you about you obviously yeah. wrote a second volume. You got a number of great stories that it, it, you probably just had to kind of naturally backyards to ballparks. And I was just going to ask if it's a continuation of the first or like, or is there a difference in the stories or, you know, how did you start putting the second collection right. together? So the first book is basis to bleaches as he does a shameless self-promotion by holding the book up. Collecting the stories was fun. Editing was both fun and challenging on a couple of occasions, but it was a lot of fun. And at this point, I realized, well, I don't know what I'm going to do here because I have way too many stories for one book. The book is self-published. At this point, when I finally got a publisher that wanted to work with me, he made it very clear that he was fine doing a second volume. So at that point, I had to decide how I was going to chapter this and that I couldn't use every one of the best stories in the first book. I had to leave some of those for the second book. So I always say to people when I, when I do my talks, I said, you ever seen the movie Ghostbusters? Everybody says, yeah, it's a great movie. Right. I said, yeah. I said, have you seen Ghostbusters too? I said, don't. <laughs> and I didn't want, I didn't want my book to be the Ghostbusters too. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, foresight. so I, um, I basically just stories just kind of naturally in most cases fit into chapters. You know, I would get this story, ah, to catch a ball, ah, my first game, ah, uh, something to do with being in love at a game. Um, you know, all these, all these different chapters, why I left some chapters for the second book, I I don't know. But between the time that I did the first book, which has, I think, about 280 stories of the 1,250 that I got, knowing that many of those remainders were going to go into a second book, I continued to get more stories from people. So I wound up with about 2,000 stories, oh, I wow. mean, total, by the yeah. time of the second book. So, you know, I had you do the do the math, right? It's like you know, 1,500 or whatever it was. Way more than you had room for. That's right. <laughs> Still. And you know, like why the first chapter in the second book, my first game, why that chapter wasn't in the first book, it should have been the first chapter in the first book. But I can't tell you, I don't remember what my thinking was. Probably I didn't felt, I didn't feel like I had enough good stories to make it a good chapter. And that's probably why I waited for the second, you know, to put it in the second book. So that's how it happened. No, it's not, it's not different than the first book. You know, it's the same the same concept. Every story is totally different. And that's just what, what makes it different. There were a couple of core chapters to me in the first book 
that I knew that chapter had to be repeated. I mean, obviously different stories and a different title. But in the first book, there's a chapter called What Baseball Means to Me, because I learned from all this that for a lot of people, baseball is more than just, oh, I love the game. I mean, mm -hmm. for some people, there is just this deep connection, you know, with including a woman from England who had resettled in Canada and she didn't in 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 Montreal, if my memory is correct, in Montreal, where they spoke mainly, mainly French and she couldn't. Oh, yeah. And there wasn't much she could watch on TV. And she fell in love with baseball and she felt uh. that this really helped her save her life. I mean, who knew, you know? Um, so the second book, I've got that same chapter. It's called My Player, My Team, My Game, What Baseball Means to Me. All different stories. The first book has a story called Generation to Generation, Family and Baseball. Well, obviously that had to be the second chapter because so many of the stories are about, about family. And, you know, so that's, a, that's another chapter that was repeated. Um, there are a few other chapters that were repeated, but those are clearly the ones that, that, you know, that, that get you right here. Um, yeah, like the strongest themes for sure. <laughs> and I, I can only imagine that people who read the first book then were inspired by those specific themes to be like, I have a story just like this. And that's how you just continue to get more and more of them. But whether it gets published or not, what's really cool is that it is you, you read it and you're like, my story might not be in this book, but it inspires you to to want to think about that story again and, and maybe just share it with, even if it's just the people that you experienced it with too. Yeah, to you, know, you know, there are stories that you know, people have said, well, here's my story. I don't think it's book worthy, right? I truly do appreciate everybody who took the time to write me a story. I mean, somebody might have written a story that says something like, um, I went to a ball game and Barry Bonds got a single. And you and I might think, oh, what's the big deal about that? But maybe that was the only game he's ever been to. And here's yeah. this guy, Barry Bonds, love him or hate him. He got a hit. And that may have made you really excited. Would I put that in the book? Maybe not. But there are stories that I looked at for the second book that I had gotten in time for the first. And I suddenly saw them in a different light. And maybe it was just in connection with how I would chapter it. I mean, I, you know, it just there's, there's just a lot here. Sometimes, you know, you look at something at a different time and it just strikes you completely differently, right? Oh, absolutely. Uh, by now, I probably have over 2,000 stories. So will I do a third one? Maybe. You might just have to. Well, you've teased a couple good stories or a handful of good stories uh, thus far. But do you have a story or two that you could share with our listeners just to give them a little taste of, of what they can expect in the book? Sure. I'm not going to read the stories, but I'll tell you about some of them. Yeah, that'd, that'd be great. Think? Okay. In the first book... A friend of mine, I spent my my um, my career working for the U.S. Department of Labor. Most of it was the, the Office of Job Corps. I don't know if you know what Job Corps is. It's a job training program for disadvantaged youth. Yeah. And I, I met a, someone there. She was on some work groups that I led. We stayed friends. And the long and short of the story is she was meeting a friend for a drink in a bar in Chicago. And her friend was late. So she walks up to this guy sitting at the bar and said, can I, can I sit with you for a while? They had a very nice conversation. When her friend comes in, she turns to the man and says, hi, we, we didn't, you know, I enjoyed talking. We, we didn't exchange names. My name is Sarah. And she says, it's nice to meet you, Sarah. My name is Ernie Banks. And she didn't have a clue who this was. And 
long as it, it, it goes on and on. And finally, your friend says, you got to get his autograph. And she goes and says, I understand you were Mr. Cub. You must have been a great basketball player. Oh, no. okay. So when I first got that story, I thought, this is a great story. And then I thought, there's no place for my book. And then the third thing, third thing I thought was, there has to be a place for my book. So I always talk about that story because that really made me reconsider how to put the book together. And I realized the structure of my book had to fit the content not fitting content into a structure. Sure. I've got a story from a guy in the first book that we met in Milwaukee at a ball game. Long and short of it, he sends me this incredible story about taking his kids to their first game and his kid um, vomiting up all the all the liquor she was eating onto the woman next door and, I mean, in the next seat and they have to go. And I mean, it's an amazing story. This guy and his wife not only turned out to be very good friends of of Lynn and I. We've developed a very close friendship. Turns out we're related by by marriage. No way. And you never would have known if you didn't meet them? Absolutely not. Wow. Their son is married to my wife's cousin's kid. That's nuts. It's nuts. There's a story in the first book from Maybelle Blair. Do you know who Maybelle Blair is? I do, yes. I've met her a couple times, actually. Well, there you go. There's a story from her about yeah. For those of you listening to this who don't know, the League of Their Own was based on, the movie was based on a real league. And um, Maybelle Blair, who actually makes a cameo appearance in the, the recent, uh, was it Netflix series? Um, yeah, I think it's on Amazon. Yeah, Amazon. the, the um, new series. I've got a story from her and I've got a story from a woman who was in the Japanese internment camps back in the 40s and how she played baseball there. They played baseball to normalize life, right? Wow. In my in my second book, I've got a story from the man who was watching on television. He was watching Hank Aaron hit his 715th home run. And as Hank Aaron was circling the bases, this man, a boy at the time, Bob, was running his own bases in his living room while Aaron was running around the bases. This man, Bob Kendrick, has grown up to be the director of the Negro Leagues Museum. And he gave me that story. My own personal favorite story, I mean, my wife's story is we found out at a ball game that we were going to become grandparents because our son and daughter-in-law FaceTimed us at a game and they picked <laughs> up the screen and said, hi, future grandparents. But my my personal favorite story would have to be, um, I mentioned before, Matt Cain was our favorite player, mm-hmm. all of us. Well, when he threw his perfect game, Lynn and I were watching in our den and Rachel was doing the press elevator at the ballpark. And our son, David, was in Washington, D.C., knowing you should go to sleep. But, you know, there aren't a lot of perfect games and certainly not a lot thrown by your favorite player. And it's about how this magical game of baseball, I'm getting a little emotional here, once again connected our family. Because the the texts were flying and the phone calls were happening. And, you know, that, that might be my favorite story of all. Because it was about our favorite player. Right. And in connecting all of you at all different places in life, all different places physically in the world. Right. And that's, that's the thing is like reading the stories in, I have just read the first book so far, but reading these stories, you've got like the biggest smile on your face. You, you know, start to well up and and feel really emotional and like get goosebumps from some of them. It will take you through all of the emotions the same way that the game of baseball does. Yeah. I mean, if I was to do a tagline for like, you know, movie, you know, you always hear in the teasers, you know, the deep yeah. voice going, you never know what to expect. It would be stories that make you laugh, tear up and remember. 
And so many yes. people said it, it reminded me, you know, I'm going to do a shout out to my friend Ari, who put me in touch with yeah. you. Ari's got stories in, in both books. And the first one, the one that you know about is his epic adventure to see the Cardinals at Fenway Park. His story in his second book is about how he and his brother celebrated the Cardinals winning the World Series. And it was on a Friday night for Jews who follow the, the customs. Yes. You, you don't put on the lights. You don't in nothing. Right. No I'm not saying that very well. Excuse me, Ari, forgive me. But <laughs> basically, it's how they watched this game and how they all celebrated. Yeah. But his mom's story is in the book, too. And it's about how his mom was pregnant and was told by her doctor that she had had a miscarriage. But she took her two other kids to a ball game, went back the next day to a different doctor, found out that she had not had a miscarriage at all. And she ends it by saying, something along the lines of, I only wish that that doctor who had been so cavalier about making that judgment was here to see my six foot five inch son, Ari, sitting with his children in the, all of them dressed in St. Louis Cardinals garb. Yeah. And that's from the chapter, my first game. And she ends it by saying, if that doesn't make Ari a lifelong baseball fan, I don't know what would. Seriously. I'm tossing it up for Ari and for you because it is a Cardinal story. You know, again, the book is, Far more, far more than play of game stuff. It's about the human interest stuff. It's the connections. It's the, you know, it's the, it's the family and the friends and the crazy, crazy stuff. I mean, there's a story in the book about a guy who was at a spring training game with his friends and, and his friend, although he had a glove in his hand, didn't catch a, a line drive that hit him right in the head. And a kid who caught the ball because he didn't get it was a, a kid who had been, um, I want to be very nice about this, had been very difficult throughout the game. And the entire story is about the give and take. I mean, it's a hilarious story. It's an absolutely hilarious story. Um, and uh, look, I mean, I could go on forever about these stories and I, I don't want to, I don't want to do that, but um, they're yeah, just. Don't they're... spoil it all. We'll, <laughs> it's definitely worth the read for whether you're a baseball fan or not, because the other thing that, I even just using Ari's story as an example that is really fun about these stories is a lot of them take you back to a simpler time or just a different time. And even like remembering as I was reading his story that takes place, you know, many, many years ago at a time where like it was the cash in his pocket that was going to get him into the game. And you know, even just remembering like, oh yeah, that is how you used to go down. And maybe if you got lucky, wow, I paid this much for this ticket. And it turns out it was actually worth maybe three times as much. And those kinds of things just don't happen anymore. And, or they certainly don't happen the same way. And then even if you're not a baseball fan, you can relate to that story by the fact that he makes this kind of last minute decision to be like, you know what, this is going to be kind of inconvenient for me, but I'm going to go for it. And then everything just goes wrong. And well, we the whole story relates to moments like that, right? Yeah, the whole story. I mean, if if you've ever seen the movie The Out of Towners, it's like one bit, one crazy yes. thing after another. <laughs> that was Ari's story. It was just yeah. one crazy thing after another. Yeah, but it's a perfect example of like whether you can relate to doing going to that extent to try to get to see a baseball team 
or whatever it is, like those are moments that are bigger than the game and that we can all relate to on the human level. Well, speaking of another thing that connects us all, one of your other big passions that uh, I'm not sure if we mentioned so far is music and specifically rock and roll. So up next for you, you are actually collecting personal stories around music related memoirs and concert experiences, all that good stuff, which uh, we'll wrap up talking a little bit more about here. But I want to know from you, like personally, who's your favorite band? What's your favorite concert experience? I remember the day, it was February 10th, 1964, and everybody will say, oh, that was the day that the Beatles first run Ed Sullivan, and that's incorrect. It was the next day, because I had no idea who the Beatles were, and I didn't watch Ed Sullivan, and I got to school on February 10th, and everybody was talking about the Beatles, and I had no idea what they were talking about. And for those of you who don't know, the Beatles run Ed Sullivan three weeks in a row, and I watched the next week. And I don't mean to sound overly dramatic or whatever. My life changed that moment. And at that point, nothing except for family and friends, nothing has ever meant as much to me as music. So the Beatles are clearly my favorite. And my entire family loves the Beatles. But my favorite artist, per se, in addition to the Beatles, is Jackson Brown, because lyrics are the most important thing to me. And I think Jackson Brown is... You know, a lot of people say, well, who's our best lyricist? I don't know. Is it Leonard Cohen? Is it Bob Dylan? Is it Paul Simon? Is it Joni Mitchell? For me, and that's a that's a personal taste. For me, yeah. it's Jackson Brown because he sings things that that just get to me. My greatest experience I shared with you a few minutes ago was George Harrison uh, did the first ever benefit concert. It was a concert for Bangladesh. Um, and he had on stage with him. Ringo and Dylan and Clapton and Leon Russell and Billy Preston, my second favorite band of all time, Badfinger. And it was an amazing experience. And when I think back, when he sang the last line of the song, Bangladesh, and he sings for the last time, we've got to really Bangladesh. And he puts his guitar down and walks off stage and I'm getting goosebumps um, just remembering it. I'll never forget that standing ovation. It was just, I mean, I'll, I'll never forget it. And as I also mentioned to you, what I also won't forget about that that concert is the girl I was dating. Um, name not forgotten, but will go unmentioned. Um, <laughs> she said to me at some point, oh, this is so loud. To which I could only think, oh, you're so not the one for me. <laughs> um, I want this book to be not just about rock and roll. I mean, it'd be very easy to do a book of the Beatles and Dylan and Grateful Dead. Okay. I don't want that. I mean, I want it to be of artists of all eras, um, artists of a genre that I may not like. It could be an artist that I really don't like. But what I experienced, what I've learned from the baseball book experience is that it's all about the story. I mean, I don't know anything about Rihanna, okay? But somebody could have an incredible story about Rihanna And, you know, just like in the baseball book, some of those things could have happened at any field. Well, some of the things that people could tell me about an experience with an artist about, you know, throwing a guitar pick and catching it or, you know, Elvis, you know, wiping his armpits with a towel and throwing into the crowd. It could be about any artist. It doesn't have to be about Elvis. And they're not only concert stories. They could be about, to piggyback on the baseball book, why music is important to me, Mm -hmm. you know, or it could be just about anything. It could be you playing in a band or seeing a band or meeting a star 
or it could be a moment. I mean, I'll go back to a, a Jackson Brown moment and um, he's got a song called, it's from the album Running on Empty, which, you know, is it's a great album. It's nowhere near my favorite Jackson Brown album, but he comes back and it was when they were recording this album and he does a song called The Loadout. And it starts with him on stage. The seats are all empty. Let the roadies take the stage. The song is basically an homage to his roadies, to the fans. And one by one, his band members come back on to layer more instruments on. And this is the first time I ever heard this. And, you know, people have heard his version of Stay because he segues the loadout into Stay just a little bit longer. The road, the promoter don't oh, mind, yeah. and the roadie don't mind if we take a little time and, and play one more song. But hearing this song, this was blowing my mind. I mean, that he would write a song about the fans. You know, we're only as good as, but when you get up on your seats, you off your seats, you made the show. I mean, I mean, that's why I love Jackson Brown. But the point is, that was a moment. You know, it was a moment at a concert. So, yeah, so I'm really excited about getting music and concert stories from people of, of all different natures. And I especially want from younger people who, you know, I mean, I, I've kept fairly current with music, but heard of a lot of bands. It doesn't mean I know much of their stuff. And I, you know, I wanted stories from people who like bands I've never heard of. Because the thing about music that I guess is different than sports is how subjective it is in terms of what you appreciate and what you connect with. So it only opens that door and that kind of conversation around the experience that people have and like what is meaningful to them about it even more. Right. And I think that with my generation and the generation that followed, which is you know your generation, it's very different, I think, than what has happened previously because my kids, for example are listening to the same music I do. Different artists, but it's rock and roll. So right. I turned my kids into lovers of not only the Beatles, I mean, that was a big duh, right? You know, like, who, who's not going to love the Beatles? They like Jackson Brown. They like Warren Zevon. They like Badfinger. And my son has turned me on, my son and my daughter have turned me on to music, including some of my own generation. I don't know Pink Floyd very well. Well, they've mm. turned me on to more of Pink Floyd. Whether I like it or not doesn't really matter. And I do like certainly some of it. It's just being able, like with baseball, to share these experiences. I'm very excited to do this music book. I love baseball. I do. But music, that just gets me in a whole different place. Yeah, I think it takes the human experience almost to the next level, too. Well, tell us where listeners can find your books and then also where they can submit stories for your next project. Right. My books are online. The baseball books are Bases to Bleachers and uh, and Backyards to Ballparks. But if you want to get a signed copy from me, I will always have copies of, the, of these books. It's the same price as on Amazon um, or on Barnes and Nobles. It will cost a little more because I have to ship it. Um, sure. But if you want a signed copy for what it's worth, um, you can contact me at my email address. You can find me on Facebook if you want. It's I'm Eric Gray or Bases to Bleachers dot com is my website but my email address it's a long one but it's a simple one it's eric e-r-i-c dot baseball story so it's one word eric dot b-a-s-e-b-a-l-l-s-t-o-r-i-e-s at gmail you can feel free to email me there say you know you want to get a copy of the book or i would like to send you a story if you want me to send you kind of um book descriptions email me or find me on messenger and I will send you a book description. That's how you can do it. Um, 
that's how awesome. You yeah. Your, your website is very easy to navigate, very clear, clear cut. It's got all kinds of good info. One it's- of the things about the website that I like is, is a tab and it's called the, I think it's called the stories behind the stories and the example yeah. I gave you about the person whose kid vomited up the liquor. I yeah. explain, I go, I go into the backstory and there's a little post note about that as well, which is that I mentioned that we become really good friends. Well, when we did a, a little book tour up to Seattle, his son lives there and Dean and Debbie, planned the trip to see their son and grandkids for when we were going to be there. And even though I was touring for the second book, I read his story. <laughs> and at the end, I said, there's Dean. He wrote the story. There's his wife, the woman who kept saying, we have to go home now. And there's the vomiter and his wife. Oh, and man. <laughs> it, was really a, it was a really special moment. And that's the thing that the books have continued to do is create more and more moments like that and just encourage people to keep talking to each other, to keep connecting, keep sharing those memories because that's what it's all about. So yeah, we're going to obviously share your website in the show notes and I'll share that email address as well. So it's just super easy to get in touch with you. Is that the best place to send music related memoirs as well? Or is there another spot for that? Well, it's it's eric.concertstories at gmail.com. They'll get to me one way or another, but that's more of a dedicated, uh, you know, uh, email address for that. I think this is great too, because we're obviously we're in the midst of the postseason right now, but we're coming up on those long, cold four months without baseball and people are starting to look for gifts and stuff too. And this is, it is one of the great baseball books or now two of the great baseball books, but it is different. Like we talked about than a lot of the other baseball books that people may have gifted already. So it's the perfect gift for the baseball fan in your life as well. Yeah. Thank you, Kelsey. I mean, I'm not a boastful person. I'm going to say this. These are great books. And that's not me being an arrogant jerk. It's my recognizing how lucky I was that so many people trusted me with their stories. And I'm not I'm yeah. not just trying to be falsely humble here. The fact is, yeah, I put them together and it took a lot of work to get the stories. But if people didn't give me the stories, I wouldn't have had a book to write. I mean, I know so many people who've come to my book talks who don't like baseball, but they love the book because you don't have to like baseball to like this book. And that is simply the truth. And especially if you're not a baseball fan, it's a great place to start to see why the game is so meaningful and how it connects other people. So I couldn't agree more. I think it's a great book for everybody. And I thank you so much for your time, giving us a little bit more insight into your experience in putting the books together. I can't wait to hear about the music project and we'll definitely have to have you back on once you've got that underway. Thank you, Kelsey. I am so appreciative that you that you took the time to have me on your show. You can keep up with Eric and his work at basestobleachers.com. And you can find the email on where to connect with Eric and share your baseball or music stories in our show notes, as well as on his website. Make sure that you're following Peace, Love, and Baseball on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcast. We're also on YouTube at Peace, Love, and Baseball. And make sure to follow at Kbird Tweets on Twitter for all the latest updates. Give us a review and tell your friends. We'll catch you next week on Peace, Love, and Baseball. Mm-hmm.